Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh. Serve fast. Serve friendly. Lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Mike Pratt's love for basketball didn't stop after his career with the Kentucky Colonels. He's done a little bit of everything in basketball, and as you're going to find out in part two of Oscar's conversation with Mike Pratt, it's not only about what you know, but who you know. We'll follow Mike's career with Converse and his coaching career at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, and his time with the original Charlotte Hornets of the NBA. And what did one Wildcat legend have to say about another young Wildcat legend playing for Charlotte? We'll find out. Mike will also take you on the coaching carousel at the University of Kentucky from the end of Tubby Smith's tenure to the tumultuous years of Billy Clyde Gillespie and the hiring process of John Calipari. And Mike doesn't want to leave out all the coaches, so he throws in a pretty good Joe B. Hall story in for good measure. And what was Mike's favorite place to play at on the road and wish their fans didn't know anything about basketball? Mike tells us. I'm Bo Robinson, and you're not going to find a better player or person from outside of the state of Kentucky that knows what it means to have Kentucky cross the chest. Mike Pratt is the epitome of that. This is episode 30, part two of Conversations with Oscar Cones, presented by Rafferty's and his guest, Mike Pratt. What did you do after 72 uh, between then and when you went with Charlotte. UNCC? Uh, Joe Dean approached me. Uh, Larry Conley called me and said, Joe Dean wants to talk to you about going to work for Converse. So we talked, and I, uh, I, I, I was let go right at the end, right before the opening of the season. So it was very hard to – there was only 10 guys on a roster. And at that time, rosters were set. So it was very hard. I didn't want to – travel back to play in the Eastern League on weekends. That didn't appeal to me at all. And you couldn't go to Europe then. Um, guards didn't go to Europe anyway. You know, big guys went to Europe. But it wasn't like it is now. So I decided to go to work. And I went to work for Joe Dean and Converse, putting on clinics, doing some sales, but clinics and promotion work that Joe had done in Kentucky and Tennessee. Larry Connolly was doing in Georgia and in Florida and enjoyed it. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And then I got into coaching. And you went to UNCC with Lee Rose? I did. Lee, uh, I had known Lee. He recruited me as an assistant to Cincinnati. And uh, my parents were very fond of Lee, as I was, but uh, um, didn't go to Cincinnati. And uh, with this Converse job, I used to, even my last year, Lee was at Transylvania at Kentucky, and I spoke at his camp that summer. And um, so... With Converse, uh, I got I was around him more. He he wore Converse and spoke at his camps. So he asked me to go. He knew I wanted to get in coaching because I talked to him about it. Talked to a lot of people about it, trying to get their opinions. Bill mm-hmm. Olson, we talked about Bill Olson the other day, uh, the uh, U of L former AD, and he was assistant coach at, at Louisville. So Lee took the job at Charlotte and asked me to go with him. Everett what Bass, year is that now? Seventy five. 74, 75, 75, no, 76. 75, 76. We went down in May of 75. 
And, and I ran into you, I believe, at Madison Square Garden you did. in March of 76. You did. We played Kentucky uh, in the re- in the uh, championship NIT championship game. Madison they had, Square they had Garden. a guy by the name of Cedric Maxwell, but nobody knew him as Cedric Maxwell. Cornbread. When we got there, uh, the year before he had started uh, for Bill Foster, who went to Clemson, averaged four points a game and three rebounds. <laughs> Lee came in and changed the whole thing around. We recruited one kid, Kevin King, four-year starter for us. And we, uh, we had a guy named Melvin Watkins. Melvin was on the JV team. Didn't even play on, on the varsity. So Lee decided he was going to be his point guard because he saw defensive player, big, strong guy, smart guy, and made him, made him our point guard and converted him to a point, and off we went. And we should have been the, invited to the NCAA that year. But, but now even, and, even then, there were three teams in that NIT that was ranked in the top 25. Exactly. I mean, there were only 32 teams in That's the NCAA, and 16 went to the NIT. Now, when I played, there were only 23 or 24 There's teams. There's 64 now in the NCAA. Alone. You only had 48, and both of them combined then. Exactly. NC State was a top 25 team. San Francisco that year was a top 25 team. Louisville's top 25. Louisville was there, Kentucky. And we were we were like the 15th or 16th team chosen right at the end. Coach Rupp helped. Coach Rose flew up to Lexington, sat down with Coach Rupp, talked to people in New York, and got us invited. We were like an afterthought. Okay, we're like 15 or 16. End up playing Kentucky. Tell me what you remember about the championship game against Kentucky. I guess that's the first time you had competed against Kentucky mm-hmm. in your life. It was a very strange feeling, but, uh, you know, they they had the big guys. I uh, don't think Roby played. Uh, he was hurt. He'd broken an arm right. uh, with, when they were 10 and 10 the season. They had to win the last six yep. just to get invited. Mike Phillips. Yes. I remember James Lee and Goose, Jack Givens. And we had seen Everett and I had watched them play. We tried to recruit up here. We didn't recruit them because that didn't was. Didn't Reggie Warford hit a big shot in that Reggie game? hit a real big shot. Dwayne Casey. Mm-hmm. Dwayne Casey played on that team. They were a tough physical team. Okay. And uh, we went nose to nose. When we left that game, going back to Charlotte, we knew we were going to be real good next year because we had a commitment from a guy from uh, New Jersey, Kevin, uh, Chad Kinch, a guard. And we knew we were going to be really good next year because we competed with a team we felt uh, was going to be a contender the next year. And uh, we went right down to the wire, and Reggie hit a big shot. Um, it was quite a game. It was quite a game. And then 77, you really blossom. And uh, Right here. Right here at Rupp Arena. That's right. In fact, it, as fate may have had it, had Kentucky beaten Tennessee in the last game of the regular season, you might have played them here because Kentucky got sent to the East Regional when Tennessee got the Mid-East Regional bid by virtue of the tiebreaker. They'd split with Kentucky, and uh, no, no, they beat Kentucky both games. That's what it was. In in the regional here, we had to play. We're in Bloomington. We have to play a, what was then termed a, a play-in or what, the first round, whatever. We played uh, – Central Michigan, three players, Central Michigan, go on to the pros. Danny Roundfield, the, the big guy, was the most notable of the three. But they had a forward, a guard, and Roundfield. They were good, man, Central Michigan. I think that was the same Central Michigan team, basically, that Kentucky played the next year in NCAA. Probably was. Yeah. It probably was. And Michigan and Detroit. Well, I was going to say, we, we, we had a lead, 
and the guard who ended up playing in the NBA drove to the basket and Maxwell challenged him and he laid it up under a challenge. The ball goes around. We're in Bloomington, Indiana in the arena up there. Ball rolls around, starts back around again and rolls off. If that ball goes in, you'd never hear of of UNC Charlotte. All we're talking about is Central Michigan, as good as they were. So we move here to Lexington. Vitale's coach in Detroit. Four pros on that team. Michigan, Johnny Orr. Two or three, Phil Hubbard. Um, Ricky Green was on that team. And I can't think of the other guy that played a while in the pros. And Syracuse, uh, Bayheim and Big Bowie. Um, I forget who the other guys. He had a couple pros on his team. They were all here. Yes. And, and we were perceived to be... Well, we were the darling, but to perceived to be the the least talented of any of them, right? And uh, Detroit and um, Michigan battled in the first game, and we beat Syracuse. They threw up the zone, and we picked it apart and beat them. Big upset. So now we're facing Michigan, who I believe number one team in the country at that time. We play them, Johnny Orr, and beat them and go to the Final Four. And, and an interesting aside to that, you collect autographs and pictures, and you've told me all the time, uh, all along, to, to get these things signed or sign them, whatever you want to do. I never had Adolf sign a thing. Never never thought to do that. My mom and dad, both were still alive, and they came down to, for the ball game from Dayton. And my mom told the story. My mom said, I looked over there in the seats behind your bench while you guys were warming up. He said, you, you all weren't out, but Coach Rupp, all by himself. So I told your dad, let's go over and talk to him. So they went over and talked to him. And he was gracious as he could be. And my dad wanted to get him to sign that program. My dad asked him. He said, sure. So that's the only autograph I have from wow. Coach Rupp on that program, on that official program from the NCAA. The, the day between those two games here, uh, Rupp was at the arena sitting next to John Wooden. And Herky was set between them, and he was about seven or eight years old. How about that? That's a classic picture. Yeah, I bet that was. I bet that was. The and 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 we talked a little bit about Lee Rose, good guy he was, and he seemed to have been born with a rabbit foot in each hand. He gets to UNCC and he's got cornbread Maxwell. He has the great run there, and then he runs in and somehow they hand Joe Barry Carroll to him at Purdue. Of course, that led to your good fortune, too. Mm -hmm. You took over for him there, although in the end, it would have been better if the new AD had hired you rather than you being hired for the AD. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. Um, Lee Rose was as good a coach, and, and he, he was organized like Coach Rupp was for practice and for everything else. This guy was amazing on the bench, and Bobby Knight paid him a, a, a tribute or a – compliment when he left Purdue, he says, now he says in, in Knight's cockiness, he said, uh, you know, the best coach in the, in the big 10 is gone now. So I feel comfortable or something like that. And Lee was amazing at, uh, relating to the players and being, being, making decisions at halftime. He was just really, really good. I, I learned so much from him. And when he left, I, I really wanted to go with him and, uh, to Purdue um, thinking that would be a great place, get into Big Ten, make some contacts. And the only reason he left, oh, uh, obviously he paid him more money, and he only had to coach. But, you know, that year we won 20 games and didn't even get invited to the NIT. 
didn't even get invited. And we had a, a reasonable mm-hmm. uh, schedule uh, versus people that went. we didn't even get invited to the NIT, let alone the NCAA. At least that I've had enough of that. Auburn, he turned down the Auburn job at that time. And then he took the Purdue job. And, uh, and uh, I got the job and probably wasn't ready for it. Okay. But I got the job. And then Lee being the AD and head coach, that left the AD's job open. They brought a guy in. And um, Clyde Walker, and he was there two weeks, and we went to have lunch. He said, I'm going to have lunch with you. I said, great. I met him when he came in, but I wasn't part of the selection committee. He had coached football at North Carolina. He had gone to Kansas on the recommendation of Dean Smith, took the job, and uh, then came back home. I think the job might have been a little bit too much for Clyde. He wasn't the hardest working guy in the world. But saying that, we go to lunch, and we talk, and, and I enjoyed the lunch. We talked about He asked me how – where do you want to recruit? How do you want to do it? Yada, yada. He said, you know, you're going to have to help me raise money. You can spend what you want to spend, but you're going to have to raise it. Okay. Well, that's what we did when we went there. That's no big deal. So we get ready to go. And he says, you know, I just want you to know one thing. He said, this is a true story. He looked at me, he says, if I'd have been AD here, I wouldn't have hired you. Well, that's sort of a kiss of death, wasn't it? I went home, told my wife, I said, I think we've got some problems. <laughs> <laughs> but you did have four seasons there and three winning seasons. That's right. And my, my losing season, my best player broke his cheek against Toledo. We're up in Toledo and playing, and we were off to a pretty good start. That was the only loss we had at the time. Um, my best player, leading scorer, broke his cheek, and my center flunked out. And we ended up we ended up beating Marquette down the stretch. Hank Raymond's brought his team to – did me a favor and brought his team to, to Charlotte to play. And we upset them, and – and, uh, yeah, it was uh, – it's ironic that when I left, they, they had a hard time hiring people um, because it's a tough job. It's a tough job. They hired a guy, and uh, he didn't win – I don't think he won as many in, in his time as – I know he didn't win as many as I did. He really struggled. Guys left. He couldn't recruit. He gets fired, and the AD gets fired. Jeff Mullins, Lexington guy, comes in, becomes AD and head coach. He brings the program back. Um so it was it was a tough job then. It was really a, it's still a tough job. You uh, got into coaching again in the late eighties. Uh, Charlotte, what were the Hornets? In? Hornets, the original. Charlotte in fact, Hornets. you were one of Rex Chapman's first pro coaches. That's right. That's right. Well, as I, an assistant to when Rex was a rookie, I did the television and did college scouting, and then Rex's second year. Uh, uh, Dick Carter was fired in December. Gene Littles took over, a guy I played against in the ABA. And I went down on the bench with Gene for that year and then the next year. And then the director of basketball operations wanted to coach, so he fired Gene and fired all of us. My last year with them, I spent out on the road, did all the advanced scouting and did college scouting. So, yeah, Rex was uh, – Rex, uh, Rex was uh, – <laughs> did, did he listen well? Yeah, yeah. You know, the beautiful thing about Rex was – um, people, people as a rookie, they didn't take to him for whatever, but you know, the second year Rex was voted the MVP by the fans. He, he won all these fans over his second and third year. Then Alan Briscoe, who took over, uh, Bristow, he, he didn't like Rex. He traded him, gave him away for nothing. But Rex was really starting to develop Oh, at that time. And a few years in between this, you did some scouting and then 
you become the uh, color analyst at UK in 2001. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you'd been working some in Louisville at the time, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, let, let, let's go through just real briefly. Uh, can I tell my Joe story? Yes, you can. Okay, right because you you know Joe so well. <laughs> We're going to Marshall to play as a freshman, okay, up in that little old gym up there. And I pick up a couple fouls in the first half. And, and one of Joe's friends, John Sid Riley, helped drive up there because we took state cars. And so I sit out most of it. We go in at halftime. And, and now Joe, this first game Joe coached with the freshman team that primarily he recruited so we go back out. He, I start out, and I pick up my, my third foul, and I go sit down on the bench, and John Sid's down there. And I sit, and I sit, and I sit, and the game's going on. And so finally I said, uh, Mr. Riley, I said, do you think you can go up there and say something to Coach Hall? I, I'm down here. I said, I, I've, I've got three fouls. And uh, John Sid said, yeah, there's only like five minutes to go in the game. And so he goes up and tells Joe, and Joe comes down. He says, what are you doing down here? Joe said, you're supposed to be out there playing. <laughs> Is that a senior moment in a I, junior body? <laughs> I guess he just mistaken me for somebody out there on the floor, but I'll never forget that. When you come back here and you're an analyst and you've been a former player, you've been a former coach, so you get to see it truly inside from a different perspective from, say, a media person or just a fan. What do you remember most uh, – of those seven years you spent here when Tubby Smith was coach? Uh, I knew Tubby since he was a high school coach um, outside of uh, Winston-Salem. Holt County High School, we tried to recruit a kid there that ended up going to state. Uh, late state comes in and knew Tubby. And um, Kelvin Sampson was doing his teaching at the middle school there. He was Tubby's assistant, volunteer assistant. Um then when Tubby was at VCU, I was head coach of Kentucky, and we, we knew each other. And uh, Tubby just – we know what kind of guy he is. But he's a terrific basketball coach, particularly at the defensive end. Okay, just a terrific defensive coach. Um, you know, his offense maybe needed – lacked a lot maybe in some people's mind. But Tubby was always prepared. He made great adjustments at halftime. Um, the kids all played hard for him. And he was a fair man as a coach, I thought. And uh, I, I enjoyed doing those games. Somewhere around 2004, 2005, after a season, he made the statement that it's important we get back to the Final Four. And if there's one thing you see with Tubby is perhaps he wasn't as successful as he would have liked to have been in recruiting. Um, I don't think anybody ever expected Kentucky to fire him, that he was going to have to take it out himself. What went through your mind when almost all of a sudden did – well, first of all, did you see him leaving happening before it actually happened? Did you sense anything you yes. could look back to and yes. say he was going to leave? I felt that not being loved or appreciated as much maybe as he thought he should have, I could sense that. I could sense just, just you know, Tubby would pregame me. He would say, come on, sit in, have, have something to eat or get a coffee and listen to the scouting report. Because I knew him and I knew uh, the the staff, and uh, I, I sensed that that he he felt felt lack of love maybe I, I'm just appreciation for what he was doing and how he did it. Um, it didn't surprise me at all. Uh, hindsight being twenty twenty, as we all know it is. What went through your mind at the time, Billy Clyde Gillespie? was hired. 
I got a call from a very good friend of mine in coaching. Uh, they called me on a weekend, a weekend, two weekends, whatever, afterwards. And he says, what are you all doing? And I said, well, I don't know. I'm not doing anything. He said, this guy can't get it done for you. And that put me on alert. And then, you know, Billy was likable enough guy at times. You were around him always, likable at times. But he, he just treated you. You can't treat the players the way he treated them. That offended me. That, that really offended me. And, I mean, look, Coach Rupp was – he was hardcore. Okay. Believe me, he was hardcore, but he didn't, it wasn't constant. Billy was constant, constant. He, you know, just some of the stuff he did, I went like, this is not going to work. You had access that only players and the managers and the staff had, particularly traveling with the team. At what point of those two years did you start to think this isn't going to work? Uh, what part of the year was it when he uh, – we go to LSU and Jody Meeks, a young fellow that I really liked and, and, and uh, got to know his dad uh, a little bit later on. When Jody had the, the, the groin injury, um, Billy, Billy – uh, we go to LSU and Billy puts him in with well, – he was right there where he could have redshirted him maybe, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Didn't have to play him down there. He puts him in for two minutes and takes him out and doesn't play him again. I said, yeah, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. And, uh, you know, you had to bite your tongue through all that. A couple of interviews I read uh, in which you were quoted saying that had been a return for a third year, you would not have been part of the broadcast. Is that accurate? Yeah, I was tired of – I was just tired of watching that. Oh, I, I just you, – you don't treat people that way, let alone guys that are playing at my alma mater that going through some of the same things that I went through. And I can appreciate that. I, I would have, I would have tried to go back to do television. I did a lot of television, you know, that and NCAA games did the pro games, but you know, it was just wasn't fun. It wasn't fun watching them. Most of all, just wasn't fun watching them. Had nothing to do with wins and losses. It didn't have it, it, it indirectly with Billy Clyde, but I watched this and I'm going, how can these guys put up with that stuff? It's hard to play at Kentucky. What does Tubby say? Joe has said, Kentucky's not for everybody. It, it, it's got built-in, Cal says it, pressures. And to do deal with these young fellows the way he was dealing with them, I go, you know, man, how can you do that? Within hours of his dismissal, you were summoned to be part of the uh, search team. Right. What were you looking for? Before John Calipari's name came up, and I know it came up very quickly, very quickly. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, well, let's just let's just let's just start right there, very quickly, because quite frankly, his name had been mentioned when Billy Clyde was hired, and you were not part of that committee. No, no. But uh, there are some people who felt that maybe UK overreacted to a perception of John Calipari's past. And he was too hot to take a chase with in 07. And then in 09, maybe the heat was so hot on the administration, they couldn't afford to make a second mistake. Therefore, John Calipari looked much better. Well, there was pressure not to make a mistake. You're right about that. Uh, Not being involved in the first one, I I don't know. I just heard things. Why Cal didn't get more of a look than he did I can't comment on not being part of it. But I know uh, when the discussion came around, there were very few names mentioned, and his was one of them. And uh, he was the guy that uh, 
that I felt all along. I, I, I really felt there were only two guys that could do this job. Okay, that's my feeling. John Calipari and the guy at Michigan State, Tom Izzo. And I thought that was that was it just my opinion. There was other guys that were good. Oh, there was a lot of guys that were qualified. But I thought from from the what they have been through, each of them, and the way they relate to their players and to the fan base, I thought it was important that um, you, you had that ability to relate. And I saw that in both of them. Um, tell you a great story. When Billy was fired on a Friday, I believe. Okay. And, um, I had gone, I wasn't up here. I was, but I was, I knew I was part of this deal. I thought it was all going to be quiet. I was going to just be an advisor in the back. I didn't think I'd get my name out there. Okay. I'm walking on the treadmill at where I worked out at the time. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's on the television. I got to tell, I know it's coming, but I'm just walking along. Nobody knows me in there. Okay. So, uh, all of a sudden, uh, Mitch says that I'm going to be part of, of, uh, advising him or helping mm-hmm. assisting him. Uh, on this deal. And I go, my phone starts to blow up. Okay. And two things I never texted at that time. So I didn't know how, I mean, I knew how it worked, but I didn't know you got charged by every text incoming. <laughs> I had like 300 texts from people in the next couple hours. So I'm sitting at home that night. Oh, and, and I get this call and it's a buddy of mine that also is a buddy of Cal's Dave Pendergraph. And he had been one of Cal's assistants at, at, uh, in New Jersey, he'd also been one of Jeff Mullins' assistants at Charlotte. And Jeff's a good friend. And I knew David, and we were friends. So he calls me, and, and I picked the phone. It was like 11 o'clock at night. I'm watching that round of the NCAA. He says, what are you doing? I said, I'm watching NCAA. What are you doing? He said, oh, I'm in France, and I'm over here scouting some players. He was working for Atlanta, I think, at the time. I'm not sure. He can't remember. He said, I'm over here scouting some international people. I said, yeah, yeah. I just act like I know why he's calling, okay? He says, uh, I understand you're involved in his search. And I said, yeah. And he says, you know, Cal really wants that job. You got you to gotta help him. And I said, no problem. I'm a Cal guy. You know that. I, I'm, I'm in the corner. And so then he proceeds. I mean, I can hear the crowd in the back. He said, I stepped out of the arena to call you. And luckily it's 11 o'clock on a Friday night. I'm on my weekend hours on my cell phone, right? <laughs> because it went on for 30 minutes. He told me he just, he was really pushing for Cal. He's loyal to Cal and wanted me to know that, that he and why he thought Cal would be so. And I, at the end of it, I said, I said, David, I said, well, I know what Cal is. I said, no problem. I said, you know, he's going to be there. That's all I can tell you. He's going to be there. What was your most exciting moment in your career at Kentucky? Wow. Um, Biggest thrill. uh, The biggest thrill I had um, was being part of three straight SEC championship teams. That meant a lot because, again, you mentioned it earlier, coming off that 13-13 and team, and Coach Rupp and Joe Hall put a lot of emphasis on our freshman team. And to win three straight SEC championships and go to three straight NCAAs was as big a thrill to me as, as anything. I mean, we started a trend at Kentucky. We started a trend of what they went on to win R3 and three more or, or and then tied one before CM's team, I think, beat them or tied. But I mean, we started that process, um, and uh, that's such a thrill. What game do you consider your best game in your career? Um, any game where I had a double, double, 
And I think I had 20 some of them. I was really proud. Of it. Look, Casey was the home state guy. He was Harry's guy. He was Adolph's guy. Issel was a big man. Adolph was in love with Dan and he could play to get me. Don't get me wrong. He could play here. I am. I'm the odd man out. So I had to make my niche by doing passing, um, playing defense, rebounding, and scoring some. But I knew I was going to be the third guy on the totem pole offensively. So whenever I could come with a double-double, and I was pretty – Russell Rice told me once, and I've never researched this, he said one to, after one game I was a couple assists or a couple rebounds. And assists were hard to get off of going uh, triple-double. And I always pr- prided myself on those double-doubles, though. Um, I played really good games against good teams, okay? Um, but those double doubles meant a lot to me. Biggest disappointment. Biggest two biggest disappointments I had uh, with a buzzer shot against Ohio State broke my heart. I still hear it from Bill Hoskett and some of those guys at Ohio State that I know. The other was fouling out against Jacksonville. Dan fouled out Larry and I felt that was that was a heartbreaker too. Not getting to the Final Four. Uh, that's why I came to Kentucky when Joe was recruiting all these people uh, on that freshman team. Uh, I thought I, because I, we were runner up and we never won the city outright. We were runner up or third. Now in high school, two of the four years I played state championship team came from Dayton. So I mean, it was good basketball, but I wanted to play on the team that had a chance to win a championship, either SEC and or the NCAA. So those two games were daggers. Still, still, still daggers. Best player you competed against. Ooh, wow. Man, I, I had to guard a bunch of good ones, a bunch of good ones. Um, Pete was, uh, was, was terrific. Um, in the ABA, man, there were so many good players as it's, it's, you know, the ABA got its just dues after the merger. Mm-hmm. So many good players there. Um, Pete, Pete, Pete was special. Larry Miller at Carolina, Charlie Scott at Carolina. I, I, I never guarded Tom Jonovich, but he was terrific at, at Michigan. Um, you know, I, that basketball was good then. Basketball Best college team you faced? Jacksonville. Jacksonville. Carolina's, couple of Carolina's teams second. I, I know you love the Coliseum. I know you love Freedom Hall. But your favorite arena on the road that you enjoyed playing in? Uh, would have to be, this probably will surprise you, Baton Rouge in the middle of the in the middle of the cow palace on top of dirt the raised floor okay that's something you never experienced you're you're up on a raised floor down there because they and you walk across boards to get to the floor Mm -hmm. and uh those people didn't know a flying flip about basketball but they didn't like you okay you got to remember their fans were were, were football fans and and you ask any football team that goes in there I mean they're rough fans they didn't. They, they appreciated Pete, but they didn't know basketball. But they hated whoever they were playing. I mean, verbally, verbally bad. Most hostile arena. Uh, Knoxville. They threw oranges at us. Vanderbilt was close second. I mean, they'd sh- they it were women shooting you the bird at Vanderbilt. There were women <laughs> cursing you at Vanderbilt because you walk. You know where you came out. You came right out to. Right, and it, it, they were brutal. And they were good then, but they were brutal. Funniest thing that ever happened to you? 
while at Kentucky? Anytime. Oh, uh, you know, funniest thing. That's kind Maybe of, I should change saying the most embarrassing thing that ever oh, happened One to of me. the most embarrassing, my <laughs> rookie year, the, the first trip we took, my shoes were stolen out of my bag. Okay? And we go to Carolina. We, we open up at home against Denver. We go to Carolina to play on Sunday. And on a Sunday in North Carolina, then where are you going to get a pair of shoes? My shoes are gone from my bag because you just checked them then and you didn't lock it. You, you know, you, my shoes were gone. They'd steal uniforms out of your bag, but my shoes were gone. Did you play in socks? No, I played in shoes that were smaller than what I normally wear. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a best friend that you had at Kentucky? Well, I think we were all really close. Um, Dan and Mike and I were very close at the time, very, very close. And, of course, distance separates you a lot. Casey and I were were, were close to till he passed. And he was like a like a brother to me in many ways. And we talked about a lot of things. We played In the summer, we used to play golf at Midland Trail Golf Course in Louisville every Friday. We'd miss very few. And we'd have a tea time there about 12, 1 o'clock. And we'd compete. We'd battle. We'd holler at each other if we were opposite. And then we'd sit and have a couple beers. And uh, he was a dear, dear friend, though. Is there anything that you would have changed if you had your life to live over from the past? I, you know, I was really lucky I, I, to do the things that I've done and be with the people I've been with. I mean, the associations, the people I've met. And, and my mother once, before she passed, talked to me about this. She said, I can't even believe, Mike. And if your dad was alive, he couldn't believe all the people that you've met and the things you've experienced and the things you've seen. And and, and I, I'm not so sure I'd change anything. I think I was pretty lucky with it. I'd make a few more baskets. I, I, I would hope that Ohio State didn't make that basket they did or didn't foul out against Jacksonville. Um, uh, no, I, I, you know, I was very lucky. I'd hate to do it over. I'd probably screw it up. <laughs> I'm going to give you some names uh, real quickly, just one line. Uh, Bill Kiley. He was the he was uh, he was George Uckel after George Uckel. George was our equipment manager. Kiley loved the university. He loved Uke, and uh, he was a special guy. Doctor Jackson. Doc Jackson um, traveled with the team. He was he was a special guy too. He was always there. Dear friend of Adolph's. Doctor Singletary. He. Uh, he was he was close to the teams. Uh, he was uh, he was a sports president. John Y. Brown played for John Y. Always told him that he fired me. He laughed and said, "No, he didn't." Uh, I consider him a, a very good friend. Harry Lancaster, tough son of a gun, tough son of a gun. Dick Parsons, one of the best basketball minds that I've ever run across. And the T- guy was great at giving scouting reports. T.L. Plain. Another great scouting report guy, great basketball mind. Uh, Kaywood Ledford. Loved to listen to him after I left. And uh, he was, he was, uh, he was, he traveled with us. He was special. And hopefully you got, was around him like Claude Sullivan. A little bit. I knew his son, David, who um, was playing football, Kentucky, when, when I was there. Oh, um, he was, he, he didn't, you know, he, I guess my freshman year was his last year. Listen to him with the Reds. I remember him more yes. with the Reds than anything. Uh, Tom Leach, you buddy. 
Tom is a dear friend of mine. We've become such good friends, our wives and families. And, um, you know, I've had a chance to work with a bunch of people uh, doing television. And then now Tom and, uh, you know, it's just sometimes you hit it off with guys, sometimes you don't. And we hit it off and I, he makes my job easy. Ralph Hacker. Another one I did TV with. He's special too. He made my job easy. Uh, J.D. Reeves. J.D., uh, he would, he would uh, if you needed a car, you needed a loan to buy a car, you went to see J.D. Love the university. Claude Vaughn. Love the university, love the players. Um, another guy that, uh, just special guy. Joe B. Hall. I owe Joe B. Uh, a lot for uh, bringing me to the University of Kentucky. I think uh, a very fair man, a very good basketball coach, but I, I thank him for deciding that I was good enough to play at Kentucky and recruited me. And, and I, and, and oh, I will have to say that uh, I think it's a slight that he's not in the hall of fame. Adolph Rupp. Um, tough guy, demanding guy, but I think he was a fair guy and that's all you could ever ask for. Dan Issel. One of the damnedest scoring guys and I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Dan, uh, special special offensive and rebounding skills. But uh, I think if I picked up the phone and called Dan now, I'd get a hold of him. He'd do whatever he could to help me with whatever I needed. So a longstanding friendship that's been separated by time, by distance, uh, but still uh, a guy that I would trust with anything. A question I always ask my guest uh, – what you would have to say to Kentucky fans today, and how would you want to be remembered? I, I would want to be remembered as a guy who, who appreciated the opportunity to come to Kentucky, appreciated the opportunity to play here, and uh, let now in this part of my life and all my life, love the university and love everything about it. Um, it's been a special, special stop in my life. Our thanks to Mike Pratt for taking time to sit down with Oscar. Now, you can get all the episodes of Conversations with Oscar Combs presented by Rafferty's for free. It's very simple. Go to oscarcombs.com and click on the podcast page. And if you're on the go 24-7 like me, then you will want to download all of Oscar's podcasts to your mobile device. For your iPhone or iPad, just go to the iTunes store and search podcast or at Wildcat News and subscribe. For Android users, go to the Google Play Store, search for at Wildcat News and subscribe each episode will automatically download to your device and then you're guaranteed never to miss an episode just to keep up with the big o on a daily basis follow him on twitter at wildcat news i'm bo robinson thanking you for listening to episode 30 part two of conversations with oscar combs presented by rafferty's and his guest mike pratt and as always go big blue